regardless of where you stand on the matter of data science sexiness, it's simply impossible to ignore the continuing importance of data as well as our ability to analyze, organize, and contextualize them. Data are changing how our businesses and societies function. They are being used to solve a ton of interesting problems and shaping the questions we can ask of the world around us. Hi, I'm James Lee, and this is Datacast. Join me for raw conversations with practitioners from the worlds of AI, machine learning, statistics, and data science. Welcome to the eighth episode of Datacast. Today on the line uh, with me is uh, Dr. Chin Tan Shah. He is a data scientist currently working as um, Advanced Analytics Manager at uh, Avenade. He did his PhD in uh, underwater communication where he developed a communication system for commercial application. He has over 10 years of R&D experience and has worked in uh, academia, oil and gas, and consultancy. Uh, he's very passionate about data science and delivering projects that help companies uh, derive actionable insights. So uh, welcome to the show, Chintan. Thank you, James. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Yeah. So uh, let's go back to the early days with uh, your education. Um, I saw that you did your undergrad back in India at the Dashim Design University um, studying electronics and communication. So yes. uh, could you mind sharing your undergrad experience? Yeah, so I did my undergrad in electronics and communication and that is where like, you know, um, I, I was exposed to many fields like, you know, all the way from power electronics to digital electronics, computer science, programming and uh, of course wireless communications and signal processing. And uh, I also did my uh, last semester training to in the field of wireless communication. So that is where I determined that, you know, that is the field that I like and hence I wanted to do my master's in uh, in that field uh, to further develop the knowledge. I see. So what was some of the most like useful knowledge that you took away from, you know, studying um, electronics and communication in college? Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, like, you know, it's like in an undergrad degree, you don't really take the subjects to the very in-depth level right mm-hmm. but then in the university we had to do lots of projects in, in every semester to like you know to demonstrate what we know and uh, that is where like you know and then we got to work in the team as well so a team of other students and that's where like you know you learn the not only the technical side but the other interpersonal skills as well and uh, that kind of really helped me to when I came to UK. I see uh, talking about that you uh, after your undergrad you decided to uh, pursue a master degree in um, communication and signal processing at um, Newcastle University in the UK so um, what prompted you to uh, make this decision so yeah I mean like many of my friends were like you know wanted to study uh, abroad and myself included in that and uh, some people went to Australia some people went to US and uh, I, I wanted to come to UK because I had like, you know, many friends here who had come here earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing about UK was that you get master's degree in one year, mm-hmm. although a bit intense, but uh, rather than spending two years to get a master's degree, you get it in one year. That was a very attractive aspect. And uh, 
decide like you know i went to like a british library to find out like you know how the further education works in the uk and that is how the whole process started i see uh, was it any reason did you apply to like different university in the uk or uh, yes yeah, so i applied yeah. to a couple of universities that i had shortlisted and i got offers from some of them as well Mm-hmm. but newcastle university uh, they had a very good department in terms of communication system and signal processing mm-hmm. and uh, so i had gone to the website of the university and uh, had a look at the the profile of some professors and mm-hmm. they were doing some very good work in terms of this field so i thought uh, this would this would be a good place for me to like you know enhance the education further i see so uh, you just mentioned that uh, your master is one year long so um Was there any interesting classes that you took during your master, during your one-year master? Yes. So in the during my master's, the uh, subject that I really liked was the advanced communication systems, where uh, I learned like the how the physical layer of a communication system works, and then I had to do a project as well. So that is where, I mean, this is starting. This is now going back nearly twelve years, two thousand and six. So at that time. MIMO communications was very hot topic, which is now currently 4G, which mm-hmm. we use day to day. But that that was not commercialized yet, and a lot of research and a lot of research was happening around that time. So I did my project in MIMO communication system as well uh, for my master's project, and that is where I learned some advanced uh, communication techniques and uh, coding algorithms and methods. Up to that one year. Uh, of doing your master thesis, um, you decided to further your scholar career by doing a PhD in underwater acoustic communication, uh, also yes. in Castro, right? So, um, how how was this? First of all, like, why do you want to pursue <clears throat> a, a doctorate degree? And second of all, um, how how this was this experience different from your master one? Yeah, so I mean, I had actually never thought about. That I will do masters. I I had just imagined I'll do a master like a PhD degree, sorry a master's degree, and then um, you know get a job in some company. But then it was around the time two thousand and seven where the like you know and so I got a good good marks during my masters um, course, and the university decided to offer me a full scholarship. Mm-hmm. So I was not really sure whether whether I should do PhD or not, and then. I was in two months, and then when I spoke to my parents, they're like, "If you want to really want to study, then just finish it off. Because once you go to work, you may not be able to like you know come back to study again." Mm-hmm. So then I thought that maybe that's a very sound advice, and then I continued to study as well. And so then I enrolled in the PhD program. But then the topic was underwater communication, which was like you know very specific. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine like you know starting my undergrad degree in electronics and communication. Then doing my masters into like you know communication, and then now narrowing it down even further to underwater communication, mm-hmm. it was kind of like you know you had to make a decision whether it's the right choice or not, right? But then I figured that um, in the end it is just a communication system. Whether some people are working on like RF comms or whether I'll be doing on the acoustic waves, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, if something solid comes out of it, that'll be I think uh, worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, for you just mentioned that it, it go um, very in detail in depth. Um, and so, for people who are not um, familiar with um, underwater acoustic communication, can you just give a a brief explanation about this discipline and why? What did you 
what why were you interested in studying it yeah so like the key difference between underwater communication and our typical day to day mobile communication is that um, our mobile phones use uh, radio frequency waves because they can travel a lot further in distance but the same radio magnetic waves cannot travel or the radio frequency waves cannot travel in underwater because they will the losses they will incur as the distance goes up it, it will be very high as a result for underwater communication people use acoustic waves like sound waves right because sound travels a lot further in underwater mm-hmm. in the water and then another key aspect of uh, the key difference is the channel which we so in the case of rf communication it will be vacuum or the air is going to be the medium through which the waves travel and uh, in the underwater is the water right now water is never steady it always moves around uh, so then that brings another challenge because the channel is never steady uh, it is always time it always varies every second and that poses a lot of challenges another key problem with uh, underwater communication is uh, multi multi path effect so imagine like you know a transmitter and a receiver uh, the transmitter transmits the signal but it is received via multiple paths at the receiver end hence it is called multi path and when the signal is received it is uh, received as, as an additive effect with the channel and the noise as well right so then the signal that you receive at the receiver is highly corrupted and uh, it poses significant challenges to decode it mm-hmm. and uh, another the key problem that really affects the underwater communication systems is uh, the effect of doppler so for example uh, the transmitter is steady but the receiver is either going away or coming closer to the receiver transmitter the signal will in fact undergo expansion or compression so then you wouldn't know how to start where the signal starts and that poses another challenge which usually doesn't uh, occur in the rf communication so as a whole like you know you can say that if a system works underwater it is definitely going to work uh, for rf communication but that that may not but the but the reverse may not be the case Mm-hmm. So essentially, it's like one of the toughest problem in the field, right? Like if you can solve it, then you can yeah. basically apply it into like all other problems in 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 communication, right? Yeah, it is. And in fact, like you know, a short range short range communication for underwater is going to be more difficult than long range, because imagine like you know a kind of a waveguide that uh, as the distance grows. the waveguides becomes like you know much longer and the height becomes much shorter compared to the length and as a result uh, it becomes much easier to have a long range communication underwater than a short range communication right um so um what was your phd thesis about so my so there was a commercial application that uh, the university was considering that um they already had a significant amount of good solutions where they were deploying multiple receivers on the receiver side but only one transmitter but then in some applications you would need uh very because if you have multiple receivers then the hardware becomes very bulky 
and in some applications for example let's say a communication between two deep sea divers they cannot have like you know very bulky receivers so the so the constraint was to use single element transmitter and single element receiver on both ends but then still achieve a very good um, accuracy in terms of communication quality so i investigated the use of uh, turbo coding method so turbo coding so turbo codes which is like a kind of a channel code that people use to add some sort of protection on the information signal so for example when i'm sending a message i add some sort of uh, extra information that will help me to decode at the very at the, at the receiving end but in around 2000 around the year 2000 uh two researchers from france they came up with a code called turbo code where you receive the signal and by applying bayesian theorem you derive some sort of uh, extrinsic information so then you already have some sort of prior knowledge and you iterate on the same received signal couple of times and as you iterate more and more the performance becomes better so that was a very ground breaking uh, like kind of a code at that time and i thought to investigate that in underwater communication and it kind of really worked really well mm-hmm. do you think was there any like viable application of it in the like say in the industry yes so i'm glad that uh, when i went back to university after a couple of years um what what really happened that my professor told me that the algorithms that i had developed uh, they are now in commercial use mm-hmm. so the university is building underwater robots mm-hmm. so what the robots do is like you know so let's say if there are some sensors that are embedded in the sea to monitor the health of ocean for example the robots go to the near the sensors collect the data and come back and that is where they are using some of the work that i have done to develop that so it is i am really glad that they are using in some sort of a commercial application so during your uh, now looking back into your phd experience uh, besides you know learning besides learning about your your expertise right in in underwater communication was there any other um technical as well as um soft skill that you think that you benefit you learn a lot uh thanks to you know yeah. doing a phd and can you elaborate yeah. on that definitely so phd is uh, although you are most of the time you are on your own but uh, the way i benefited the most was like you know collaborating with other students and the participating in the forum widely mm-hmm. uh and then again like you know discussing the problems that you have and see it and trying to see what others are doing and get inspiration from that and uh, that is where like you know i learned a lot how to network with people and see what what is out there and uh, phd gives you enough time to like you know make sure that uh, you have your strong fundamentals so while so let's say when you are doing phd you need to really prove the theories and you need to really understand how things work so that is where you know i had 3 years of time to like you know make sure my signal processing skills or probability is very sound mm-hmm. and uh, again like you know when you collaborate with others you learn from them a lot as well like because at phd level people think very differently and uh, you really learn a lot that okay this like how to look at the problem from a different angle 
and uh, you also work with your supervisor very closely so then uh, they also like you know inspire you as to how they think and uh, in phd what happens that you have to publish papers mm -hmm. that is a very key requirement and then when the time comes to like you know your idea might work but how you present it so that like you know other people in your community understand it and the paper gets accepted so that is a very hard hard thing because if you write a paper in for a journal it takes anything from like you know depends but i used to take on average 3 to 4 weeks to write a paper for a journal because you have to put your thoughts in a very succinct way so like you know there are like phd really helps you in in order to think differently and uh, how you can like you know communicate your results and again when the time comes to defend your phd it is not very easy it's because the the external examiners um they really probe you on whether you know the subject very well or not and what really helps is like you know if you have a challenging problem to begin with because i was very lucky that um in my phd i had a very ultimate goal that we had a commercial problem to begin with mm -hmm. and then i had to work towards that but sometimes what really happens people do a lot of theoretical work and that may or may not get like you know implemented in reality i see yeah so you you have more of an incentive to to actually yeah. know, do your work right because you know because you know there is a problem and you know whatever you do will be able to solve solve that problem exactly and then like the other part of my phd was that i actually had to go to the north sea to test the algorithms that i was working on because the university had the facilities of like you know boats and the transmitters and receivers okay. so we actually went to uh, to north sea couple of miles in the north sea and then conducted a sea trial where we transmitted the signal and uh, compared the results on the benchmark algorithm that was already in place and with my method which was less complex and it turns out that for the same uh, signal that we transmitted uh, my method was working equally well as to the benchmark method That's awesome. which was which was significantly less in terms of implementation complexity i see i see um you did mention earlier that you know as a phd student you have to collaborate a lot with with others um um So like I I'm not too familiar with this with the field of um, underwater communication, but um, during your three years at Newcastle, did you um, collaborate with like you know scholars from other universities in the UK as well as around the world? So not like that, but I was very active in the online forums. Mm -hmm. So when I had a problem, I would go. So the one of the key forum that i used to use was uh, dsp related so dsp stands for digital signal processing dspreleated.com and uh, there i interacted with many people uh, there was a professor uh, who who i studied at princeton university he was very active there and there were people from mit and stanford who were like you know uh, answering questions as well so that is where like you know i was like uh, really learning a lot from other with other with, uh, from other people when i was discussing problems with them or like we were trying to help somebody else and i imagine that that is really a, a novel thing back in 10 years ago right like exactly yeah i mean like looking back 10 years ago i mean like you know uh, there were not many forums for specifically dedicated to dsp this was the only one forum where uh, people discussed a lot awesome so um after finishing your phd you have a brief admin as a 
a postdoc fellow at um, University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Um, yeah. How was your experience there? Oh, that was brilliant because, uh, again, different country and different people, right? And uh, the professor that I worked with, he was very popular in the field of signal processing. Uh, now he's a dean of, dean of the faculty, but uh, he was very well known in the field and uh, he had lots of data that he wanted to be processed but that was a different challenge because the data that they had collected was using MIMO technology so while my work was on um, single transmitter and uh, signal receiver the data that they had was on multiple transmitters and multiple receivers so kind of like you know 4G but for underwater so that is where I got to like you know expand my knowledge base into the world of MIMO for underwater although I had done some work earlier in my masters but this was like a completely different ball game at a very uh, significantly higher level mm-hmm. and uh, there also like you know there were other students other PG students and master students in his group and uh, again I learned significant amount of uh, like and I gained a lot from them as well when we discussed few problems so uh, after that you know that brief experience in the US, you decided to head back to the UK and uh, accept a job as a digital communication engineer at a company called Slumberger, uh, which, based on my research, is is quite big in the oil and gas industry. Um, yeah. First of all, why did you uh, decided to head back to the UK? And second of all, um, why did you choose to work uh, for this company? Yeah. So. While I was doing my uh, my postdoc, um, I realized that you know uh, academia was not really that for me, and uh, I wanted to like you know work in the industry. And I thought that you know where I can really look uh, work on the cutting edge problems in the sense that what they are actually trying to solve, and the and of course like you know pay wise industry pays more compared to academia. Like let's be honest about it, right? Mm-hmm. So then I was applying for roles in industry. In UK and um, in US and everywhere, and Shambhaji was a company where I met a person on one of these forums, and uh, I know through him I found out that they also uh, hire communication engineers because uh, in oil and gas, what really happens that um, when they drill down and uh, look for oil or gas, they the drilling bit. So the other drilling tool contains sensors which communicate the data back to the surface but now the problem is even more complicated because the signal travels through mud rather than water or uh, vacuum so that has significant impact on the signal that you receive and uh, i applied for the role they so they had a role back in the uk and uh, i applied for it and after a couple of rounds of interviews i got in and they hired me on their graduate scheme because I was a fresh graduate mm-hmm. and, uh, it, and it was a three years program so again it was um, really good experience to work in the field of oil and gas because I learned about that industry as well how it works and also I had the opportunity to apply my skills in this field which was completely different yeah so it's so the company so it, it is pronounced uh, Schlumberger mm-hmm. so it's a uh, so that company, as you as you know, it's a very big company. It's pretty much a gold standard when it comes to oil and gas service company, right? What Sambhaji does, others follow. Basically, that's how it works. 
and uh, I kind of uh, really liked my my time over there. Well, I learned a lot, and uh, as a graduate, um, I was given the task to again implement or come up with new systems for mud pulse telemetry. So imagine uh, the the way it works is that um, the mud is being pumped as you are as you drill, and uh, when the drill bit goes down up to ten thousand feet below the below the ground and then it sends the data back to the surface so it's quite a lot of channel like you know very very long communication channel and the signal travels through the mud but the problem is that when the signal is traveling to the surface it it encounters a lot of uh, interference especially from the mud pump and then when the mud pump frequency uh, almost um, uh, like you know when the mud pump frequency is equal to the frequency of the signal it can cancel it out each other so then because it there's a lot of interference and hence you need to tackle the mud pump noise initially and that is where i worked on so i uh, implemented some algorithms as a software application and then we rolled it out in the field to test it and it was uh, like the company already had some algorithms we just uh, packaged it nicely as my role and uh, yeah so that was one thing that i learned and then that is the time when i was introduced to the field of big data and machine learning mm-hmm. now what really happened was that uh, there was a lot of um, like you know articles coming out that big data is the future and uh, machine learning uh, is the way forward so then as part of my graduate project i took that up and uh, that field i learned that field how it works and then implemented a short project within the company on uh, predictive maintenance so when the company manufactures the drilling tools uh, i did a small sort of a proof of concept that uh, we can determine the health of the tool without dismantling it and uh, that way the company can save uh, manpower and in terms of uh, time and money right so then the technicians don't have to open the whole tool and inspect each and every component but then they can just by measuring some signals they can predict whether the tool is going to be defective or not and that is where i really uh, got into the field of machine learning and uh, the another advantage that i had because of my phd was that um, there's a lot of overlap between some of the machine learning algorithms and uh, signal processing and since i had the background of signal processing it was quite straightforward for me to pick up the like the techniques from machine learning mm-hmm. what could be some of the characteristic of big data especially for the oil and gas industry you know how how is that type of data different compared to like other type of data in like in in other type of industry yeah so oil and gas industry has a lot of applications so one key application would be predictive maintenance right because oil and oil and gas industry is very much uh, focused on health and safety for example so then on the oil rigs for example you can uh, deploy some of the iot based data analytics solutions and uh, monitor how the rig is performing and uh, that way you can anticipate what's going to happen in advance and then like you know uh, act sooner right 
and the another application which comes to predictive maintenance because the tooling is very important and uh, if the tool fails let's say for example if the tool is downhole about 8000 feet and if the tool fails it is going to incur a lot of cost to the company mm-hmm. that when they need to pull the tool back up again redeploy another tool so if they can um, you know know in advance when the tool is going to fail they can act and save that kind of cost as well and uh, again like because of the scale of the industry there are lots of applications in supply chain uh, and other things right and I, I read from your from your description that you use um, vibration analysis right to to do this maintenance can can you yes extrapolate so, yeah. on that? so so vibration analysis uh, so basically how you can because it's a mechanical tool and uh, you need to measure the signal so then you can deploy some sort of uh, accelerometers and uh, measure the health of the tool right so then if you have a tool let's say a brand new manufactured tool you can create a baseline from there mm. and then you can when when the tool goes to the field comes back and uh, depending on what what component you are looking at for example if you want to know whether a ball bearing is going if if it is healthy or not you can then do some sort of testing mm-hmm. that you can introduce uh, simulated defects into the bearing insert that into the tool and and then measure the signal and then from there you can do some sort of uh, simple analysis all the way like you know from envelope detection which is very standard technique and then you can deploy some sort of uh, anomaly detection as well so then when you have the signals that are measured compared to the baseline and then of course we need to know from the subject matter expert as well as to which bearing is healthy or not because they have a known uh, experience right so then of course like you need to work with the SME as well to find out that okay because as the tool is used the signal quality will will of course uh, deteriorate but then that may be still within the acceptable range so that while the algorithm can say it is going to be faulty or not but the sma will decide the boundaries as to when the red line is crossed so i since i was beginning my journey at that time i mainly used like you know decision trees mm-hmm. and um, like you know like a logistic regression mm-hmm. mainly for my work and uh, because I was like you know just getting into the field and that kind of gave me good enough results to like you know pursue in the field in more detail um, great so so after um, your three and a half years at Slumberger you yeah. um, uh, moved to London and work as a software engineer at a company called Smart Focus for a year can yeah. you um, go over this uh, career period yeah, so then uh, I got a job as a software engineer, um, but mainly I was doing research for the company to build uh, indoor navigation apps using uh, Bluetooth beacon and uh, mobile phone sensors. Because uh, if you're going to do indoor navigation, you cannot use really GPS, uh, doesn't really work. And uh, that's so the company had a cool product in terms of. Um, proximity sensors by using Bluetooth beacon that they deploy in the malls, for example, and then we have this mobile phone sensors. So then uh, I worked along with other people to come up with, uh, with a way that, okay, 
where do, how to identify where in the store a particular customer is standing and so then the so the company for example let's say a supermarket if they know where the customer is standing and then they have the customer's uh, previous history they could send them targeted um, ads mm-hmm. like or or, or, or uh, some sort of offers so then the you know so then the customer can get more benefit out of it and that is where um, i worked on mainly to develop like you know pedometer algorithms so then because you understand that uh, in the mall you have a, you can apply some sort of constraint that customers are not going to be running around and that gives you a kind of good assumption to start with and then you could develop a good pedometer algorithms and then along by combining some sort of machine learning techniques and then you can find out how and where the customer is uh, standing so then the recommendation part was the second step so once uh, the customer has some sort of history and then we could the complete so it, it would depend on the client and client how they want to implement the recommendation part but the initial part was the which was the most difficult one was to see where the customer is standing because mm. let's say if the because if the customer is carrying the phone and it is standing near some sort of uh, refrigerator aisle the magnetic field from there could disturb the signal really badly and uh, you wouldn't and and you can really have a false positive that the customer is standing there you know while the customer could be somewhere else so so, so there were a lot of factors that that, that need to be accounted and uh, it was a different problem for different kind of uh, client that so let's say for example if there's a client who has like you know two stores of uh, like a kind of a store space then you need to really detect whether the customer is on the ground floor or on the first floor as well the customer might have the phone in the bag or are like cluttered with other things right and uh, that will completely distort the signal and uh, it is it's a very difficult problem to crack in terms of the accuracy that you want to accomplish so we were quite happy that uh, we managed to get the accuracy down to up to 3 meters or 3 to 5 meters but to get like you know sub sub meter sub millimeter accuracy is, is a very tough thing to do this is more like an advice seeking question but uh, uh, what were some of the best best resources that you used um, during your uh, your journey of learning um, data science and machine learning uh, besides you know working on the job at the first course that i took was from andrew ng like you know the coursera his popular machine learning course mm-hmm. and that i did in 2014 mm-hmm. and uh, i must say i'm really glad that i did that course because the way he explains things makes really um, is is very easy right to understand mm-hmm. the way he explains although the subject can be really daunting but the way he explains the thing is very is very good and i i was really able to grasp the concepts very easily so whenever somebody asks me as to what should they do when they want to become data scientists or do machine learning i always recommend that they do this course first because if they can do this course then uh, it's going to be very relaxed journey at that point on because the fundamentals will be re- re- will be re- like really clear and then again i did other courses from edx so there was uh, another course that i did uh, the analytics edge which was being offered by mit they are starting they are going to offer uh, another one this year as well and i think that's a very good course as well uh, once you do the machine learning course from coursera mm-hmm. 
And the good thing about this uh, analytics edge is that they use real life data and then the real life examples. Right. So like Supreme Court judgments and the basket uh, baseball data and so on and so forth. And they, as a part of the course, they also have Kaggle competition. Mm -hmm. So they release that and then you need to work on that as well. And uh, yeah, so that's a very good part about that course. And then they teach you the programming language R from the very beginning and how it is used in data science. So again, it's a very good course. If you haven't done programming before, mm -hmm. so then you can learn R as well as data science at the same time. After working at Smart Focus for a year, how was your job search process for data science role? And yeah, so kind of difficult in the sense that because my although my work was closely related to data science but because my titles did not have data science in the in the earlier roles it was very difficult that some recruiters would say that you know because you were not data scientist we couldn't nobody would hire you right and uh, it's quite difficult because while you know the subject very well if you don't get the interview interview call even on the phone you won't get that you know mm -hmm. how do you get in but then I was lucky that, you know, some companies did offer me interviews and uh, Evernard was one of them. And uh, yeah, from then, once you are in the interview room, you know, and then once you can answer the questions clearly, then yeah, I think it becomes very easy. As far as I know, Avanare is an, um, a leader in digital and cloud services, an expert in business solution and experience using Microsoft technologies, right? Yeah. Um, so what were, since you, uh, I saw that you started at Avanade about um, more than two years ago, what were yes. some of the interesting projects that you have involved with uh, at the yeah. company so far? Yeah, so the so Avanade is a very good company. Um, it's actually a joint venture between Accenture and Microsoft. Mm. So we can say it's a Microsoft company. And... Uh, and it's a consultancy, so we work with a range of clients in different industries. So, and that is a good part about the field of data science that, you know, once you know the techniques, you are not really limited to any particular field. Because let's say, for example, if I did my underwater communication PhD, I'm very limited to only that particular field. But the because of data science and machine learning, the field is really doesn't matter. And as a working for a consultancy, what really... the absolute benefit is that um, you get to work with range of clients in different industries and uh, the fact that Avanard is a Microsoft company we have access to all the Microsoft products and trainings but then we continuously update ourselves with what is happening in the field of data science as well and what Microsoft is doing. I work with many clients so mm -hmm. one was um, like you know a utility companies and um, they wanted to do some sort of uh, IoT based analytics so we did a small POC for them mm -hmm. then I I worked on a very big project for a like for a large bank uh, to help with the fraud detection and I have worked with several small like you know other clients to help them out with the segmentation of customers and uh, like uh, other things you know I so yeah I mean I, I have had like you know very good opportunities when I with Avanard that I worked on range of different clients this is really cool because this sounds like a, a combination of, of like you know data science and, and, and consultant so you can learn both like yeah you can also like do code and analyze data but at the same time you can also learn all everything under the sun about like business uh, approach exactly. business solution it's a, it's a great uh, way to like you know kind of like learn both the 
stop in high school at the same time for your career exactly because like you know doing data science on its own well it's a good thing to do but like if it doesn't really add value to the company then doesn't really make sense you know Definitely. if the companies are not able to use it to the best of the like you know to the potential then no matter how good the algorithm is if it doesn't bring any value what's the point so um you recently moved from a senior data scientist role to a manager role uh, in advanced analytics um how has this transition been like yeah it's been a very good journey so um while i was when i was hired at avanard being a senior data scientist i was given the responsibility to manage people as well and that is the really good thing about avanard that you know they really trust the people they hire and uh, provide the support that they need to progress in their career and uh, i am really privileged to work for this company because they really trust me and they supported me and then what i do for uh, like in my role on top of the day to day duties is that i uh, organize training sessions Mm-hmm. for people who want to become data scientist so then uh, it could be from beginners to intermediate to very advanced training so then i think um, and again even for this training sessions i'm given the f- complete free hand as to how do i design the curriculum and everything you know so and that's why i think like you know and then and then i was moved to being manager considering all these things done so yeah it's been a very good it's a, it's a very it's very it has been a very fantastic journey what what is like the biggest challenge being a manager so biggest challenge would be like you know because you need to um really understand the client problem right it is not about uh, algorithms anymore right um you need to really talk to the client gather the requirements and um, see what effect what is the true problem they are trying to solve and then design the solution accordingly because then the solution that you have designed for in the past may or may not work for the new client and uh, you need to really understand their business which is part of the consultancy anyways but then again when you try to understand that it, you can you can come up with 10 different ideas and then discuss which one works best for them definitely that is a very helpful insight and that's what also one of the reason that um, make me interested in in studying issue at the first place because of the yeah. opportunity to 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 make an impact on the whole organization and interface with like multiple business units you know from from the stakeholder different stakeholders from you know the executives to like you know sales marketing and different engineering design department so um certainly like it, it is a helpful thing to to kind of like think about uh you know the the value that that your that your technical solution can bring um yes. beforehand like even like earlier definitely exactly because once you understand the because coding and the technological part can be real because now we have so many tools available that it's not a problem but you need to come up with the absolutely right solution so then you know they can start to get advantage pretty much immediately mm-hmm. um so uh lastly how could you um describe the data science community in london It's a very vibrant community. Uh, there are so many meetups happening in London. I mean, you can uh, you can pretty much attend so many meetups, right? And um, they have this data science festival that also happens every year, where you like you know some companies in London they they host the meetup sponsor venues, and uh, you can really see what they are doing for their companies, and uh, you get to meet other people as well and uh, really network. 
so it's a very vibrant community in london awesome man and i assume you like also attend a lot of like those meet up right just to kind of meet and and, and understand yeah how. i try to attend as many as i can because now that like sometimes like you really get busy and you don't have time but um i try to attend some of the good ones that i used to go like some of the like many meetups which are based around bayesian uh statistics which okay. are really good and they also invite like really good speakers mm-hmm. so yeah you get to learn a lot as well phenomenal so um now i'm going to move on to the last segment of our conversation in which i'm going to ask you like three quick question um sure. and um, you know just just so you can give tactical advice for people who want to seek them um the first one is um what are the companies that are doing exceptional data science work that you really admire yeah so in the like uh, is like data science is a very broad topic i mean uh, you can you can do a lot of things inside and uh, the companies that i know are doing some like they are based in fintech so they do quite a lot of work like they like some of the new fintech companies that are coming around they really uh, design products using the data science field you know so then as opposed to the traditional banks um so yeah i mean like fintech is the is the industry if you want to do some sort of cutting edge uh, data science work second question is that um what is one book that you would recommend for people who want to um develop a better analytical mindset um does the book have to be completely technical or could be like oh, uh, yeah, non technical no, as well it can it can like be totally like uh, uh, unrelated at all like any books that yeah. you feel like so there are a couple of books that i really recommend so one is the naked statistics oh yeah by charles villan i'm like if you are going to get into the field of data science then you have to know statistics and that is one of the best books which explains things very nicely and uh, the other two books like you know that i have is like uh, the signal and the noise by nate silver mm-hmm. that is again a very good book and the other one is uh, super forecasting mm-hmm. by philip tetlock so that is he is again a, a very good researcher and uh, he has published a lot of um, done a lot of work uh, on how people uh, do the forecasting and they also actually run something called uh, the good uh, judgment project where they try to answer problems like you know try to answer questions on the real life events such as like you know um, about elections like who is going to win mm-hmm. and people from all over the world uh, participate in that and uh, he has published many stories that somebody with completely no technical background has provided better for accuracy in terms of the outcome of the event awesome uh, so these are the three books that i would definitely recommend people to read Definitely, I will put that in the show notes so people can can take a look and you know um, get their hand get their hands on them. Um, sure. And for the last question, um, imagine that you can send out a tweet to all the aspiring data scientists on Twitter. What could you tweet about? I would tweet about um, like uh, latest. Uh, article that i read somewhere on somebody's blog so like for example i read recently a, an art, an article on medium about data science fabric that's a very good article about a, it just gives you a like a completely different perspective of what the whole field is about and uh, another thing like you know i i used to write a i used to write a blog many years ago and then when in fact when i did my machine learning training i thought to put it out there as to what i did to become a data scientist so i had uh, i would send out that link as well somebody if wants to get in into the field 
it may not work for them because uh, I had a different background, but it will definitely give them enough resources as to what to do and like, you know, like how to get about doing this. Well, uh, thanks a lot for this conversation, Shintan. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing your uh, experience coming from a different studying background uh, throughout your experience with your PhD and then working at various um, companies in the UK. Uh, our audience have learned a lot on um, the different um, application of data science in various fields as well as some of the best advice they can take away from this conversation. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, I, I really hope that uh, it was that people find it useful and uh, they can reach out to me on Twitter anytime if they wanted more advice. I'm happy to help. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thank you, James. Well, that's the wrap for another episode of Datacast. Hopefully, you have learned something insightful and interesting from my guest today. You can read the show notes from the podcast website at datacast.simplecast.fm. If you want to get instant updates when a new episode is released, either follow me on Twitter or subscribe to my newsletter on my website jameskelly.com. It is my greatest pleasure that you listen to this podcast and take advantage of the data revolution coming upon us. Goodbye for now.